0: Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I'm so excited for today's topic and our guest. Today, I'm joined by Emily Miller-Palmquist. She's the founder of EMP Creative, Canada's only independent trend forecasting agency. Representing top global and online publications of future studies for the interior and fashion industry, she believes that investing in Intel yields high stake rewards for individuals, brands, and businesses all alike. For nearly two decades she has worked across North America and Europe as a designer, creative director, educator, and stylist. She holds an MA in fashion trend forecasting from esteemed Institute Palmoda in Florence, Italy, and is currently based here in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome Emily. Thank you. So happy to have you here. Before we jump into our topic du jour, uh, I want to ask you, Can you please describe a moment when fashion changed your life or when fashion held some importance or relevance to you in a really important way?
1: I think probably for me, um, I think at the time when you sort of transition from childhood into being a teenager, uh, so probably when I was about 12 or 13, you start making decisions or choices on how you want to dress yourself that are not guided by Mom and dad, for Absolutely. Instance. So I think that was probably a pivotal moment for me because it also coincided with um, the grunge era. So that was a really interesting time uh, on lots of levels, but mainly because a lot of people weren't wearing new clothes at the time. You would, for instance, go to the thrift store or steal a cardigan from your grandfather's closet. So true. So I think that that was a real eye-opener for me and the fact that consuming uh, fashion or participating in fashion didn't have to do with buying new clothes.
0: Well, and that is a perfect segue, actually, into our topic today, because today we're talking about fashion and status and status symbols in, in particular. And for the purposes of today's discussion, um, we're going to have quite a Western point of view for this. I mean, obviously, the notion of status and how that comes across in our apparel and what we wear is something that we could unpack over dozens of cultures from around the world. But for the sake of today's discussion, we're going to keep it to very much our western understanding of of fashion and and status so as a as a trend forecaster how do you define a status symbol like what is what what is its purpose what is that what does that mean?
1: Well, I think in in the realm of fashion, I think that uh, a status symbol is first and foremost a communication to others. Um, and uh, that communication can represent many, many different things. Traditionally in fashion, it's been a communication of uh, wealth and um, status within a society. So uh, to communicate your rank with a, within a, a group of individuals, sometimes to signify your... Um, purpose in a society so whether for instance if you have a role in the society it could be religious or um, or other Um, but for yeah and then a communication of your identity as well do you identify yourself by gender or by um, by
0: age even right Um,
1: so it can be a, a it's a communication of your identity who you are
0: Something in that exact vein that I came across that I thought was really interesting was in the 15th century, um, men of great wealth wore something that became known as the Krakow shoe. And it was called that because they thought it might have been um, historically from Krakow, Poland, but it had an enormous pointed toe. It could have as much as a 24-inch pointed toe on it because you clearly were wearing such an impractical shoe because you were so wealthy you didn't have to do Anything else
1: No, and that's that's really interesting because the status of wearing something like that at the time would have been that you were almost immobilized by wearing those shoes, that you were unable to uh, take yourself places or that it would be very clear that you would not be a person who uh, works or, um, you know, does any labor in society. So I can see how powerful that kind of an association would be for status.
0: Well, and interesting to that exact point is these were specifically men's shoes. And the length of the point on women's shoes was highly regulated. I don't think it ever went, I'll have to double check, I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes, but it was either, it was never a maximum of between 6 and 12 inches. Mm-hmm. So the men's shoe always had a much longer toe than the female shoe mm-hmm, did.
1: Mm-hmm. So it was easy to identify whether they'd be men's or women's shoes as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I love that idea of, you know, in its kernel, uh, status status is about wealth in many ways. And if we look at it, you know, historically going back centuries, um, that that wealth was a position of power, and we looked to the the royals, the aristocracy, as the key influencer for how that status was communicated.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was also very much in a, a, a trickle down from from uh, those that were in a position of society of wealth, where the styling elements or details would be, um, you know, communicated in a trickle down fashion. So you would end up with copycats or people who are. Looking to emulate the styling details of the wealthy.
0: Well, and when we look at key moments that have really impacted shifts in status. Um, One of the historical moments that I think is so critical is the Industrial Revolution and the birth of the middle class. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because then we could really see the opportunity for people to shift their mobility upwards. You were no longer relegated to the, the place in society that you were born into. You could move upwards from that.
1: Absolutely. And they were huge. Um, there was a huge revolution that time uh, in the way that people consumed goods as well. It was the birth of the catalog or shopping by catalog. And um, for instance, previous to the Industrial Revolution, there was no such thing as sizes in clothing. Um, Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: so everything would have been custom-made for you, Um, whereas uh, with the upward mobility that you're speaking about, of people moving into factories, into jobs, creating earnings, and having upward mobility meant that they were able to purchase um, goods and services uh, to signify their status in society.
0: And I would imagine that was a time where it was really important to show that you were that you were moving elsewhere, like that kind of communication of I am moving upwards was really something that was valued when you were able to do that.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, at the same time, it was also uh, during the Industrial Revolution that you had sort of... um Changes in society uh, with status where you had people who worked and then all of a sudden they had work time and leisure time and they needed clothing for both purposes or products or, or things that they would utilize for both services. So at the same time that um, the growth of this leisure time uh, required uh, you know, new signifiers to communicate your status outside of your working life.
0: Are there any brands that you think, are really iconic when it comes to status, like ones that you can think of that still hold a very powerful identity of of that kind of wealth and upward mobility and leisure time?
1: Yes, actually. I think that uh, probably the most prominent one that came about in the Industrial Revolution was actually Louis Vuitton. So... I don't know if you'd agree.
0: I, you know what? I totally agree. I think, I think Louis Vuitton is a really interesting example of, of status symbol. And I think it resonates that way for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think it's part of its, its, its heritage. You know, it was founded in 1854 mm-hmm. so in, in France. So it has that in its DNA about uh, how long it's been around. And it, de- it, it, it totally disrupted travel luggage
1: because mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: obviously it was rooted in, in trunks.
1: Yes, yeah. The original purpose and product of the, uh, of Louis Vuitton was actually for uh, created for wealthy, um, wealthy people of that era who would go on their grand tours and do international travel at that time and do a tour around the world by ship. Uh, so that was the reason for the creation of the steamer trunk, their iconic design, um, which remains today.
0: Well, and they made it flat. So that's how they disrupted the, the trunk. The disruptions happened so long ago. <laughs> um, but it used to be a rounded top. And the key um, benefit of that was that the water would, would, would run off. That's why it, it, it had, had value. Oh, that's- and then Louis Vuitton made it flat so that you could stack them. And have even more luggage. And have even more (laughs) luggage. Exactly. Exactly. And then they invented, they, they launched the steamer bag, which was something that went inside your trunk so that when you were, you know, moving about on ship or were, you know, not needing your big trunk of luggage, you had, again, a Louis Vuitton item that you could tote around. Sure. That was portable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And the other the other thing that I think is so interesting about Louis Vuitton is I'm sure, I mean, I can picture in my mind right now their logo and what their iconic, you know, um, pattern looks like. Mm-hmm. And they actually patented that in 1896 to defer people copycatting and counterfeiting their items. Mm-hmm. And I think...
1: And the irony of that is that it's been one of the most copied uh, materials or symbols in uh, in fashion. Oh kind
0: of my thing. goodness! It's one of the most counterfeited um, brands. They're in you know lawsuits constantly around the world with trying to keep um, their brand authentic. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that it continues to be such still an iconic symbol. Of status, of status and
1: wealth yeah absolutely absolutely I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, the deep-seated link that there is between uh, the brand of Louis Vuitton and the concept of leisure or leisure time so um, for instance Louis Vuitton uh, you know even though it was created uh, you know many many years ago with these steamer trunks if you look at the history of Louis Vuitton through advertising through their campaigns through even the designs that they create everything has this common thread running through it of, of leisure. So, uh, you know, um, when you think about traveling with a Louis Vuitton it's not for a business trip it's for a vacation. That's true. Or, yeah. Or um or a leisure time. So it's very much a representative of that.
0: Which is why if I am someone who can't afford an authentic Louis Vuitton bag, which I most certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I have one on my shoulder as I ride, you know, the metro going to work, then I can feel that sense of being associated with Uh, with a an iconic moment of leisure time
1: absolutely
0: right that's how our relationship with status works right like Mm -hmm. it it associates us with something that either we are striving to be or differentiating ourselves from a place we have come from and want to depart from
1: No, exactly. It's entirely aspirational. It's about saying I want to have that lifestyle where I'm going to do global travel or I'm a jet setter. And uh, just by carrying this handbag, I'm communicating to society my status.
0: Apparently Coco Chanel was a patron of Louis Vuitton, uh, which I find awesome because obviously Chanel is another, I would say, iconic status symbol symbol brand are there any moments that you can think of through history that have helped Chanel kind of uh, entrench itself in that in that status oh absolutely definition?
1: I mean there's you know there's so many boundaries that were broken by Chanel but one of them that sort of cemented the uh, the brand in um as a status symbol in the, the perception of all societies, I think, was likely the development of Chanel's perfumes. And in fact, Chanel Number no. 5, which today remains as one of the most known perfumes in the world and worn and bought and uh, enjoyed perfumes in the world, um, When uh, Marilyn Monroe was interviewed in the 1950s, and uh, a reporter asked her, What do you wear when you go to bed? And she said, Well, I wear Chanel number five and nothing else. (laughs) And thus,
0: (laughs) an icon was born. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. So, uh, and I think probably at the time of that interview, there were many, many people around the world who didn't even know what Chanel or number five was until that moment.
0: Well, and that's interesting as well because. I think brands have really strived to create other categories where people can afford the iconicness of their brand at varying price points like we see you know going back to Louis Vuitton they have bags that are you know ten thousand dollars they have what they call their entry level bags at at considerably less but still quite expensive (laughs) and fragrance became a really affordable way for people to participate in the status of of a a brand brand.
1: and that's sort of where licensing came from as well within fashion so for instance a company like Chanel saying okay we have our atelier in Paris and we're making all of our gorgeous handmade couture but there is a client out there who wants to indulge in Chanel who can afford a scarf or a perfume and so when uh, licensing really took over the fashion industry throughout the 80s and early 90s that was that was sort of the motivation or the aspiration behind that level of the market. So it was how to how to make society or sorry how to make status accessible for everyone.
0: Well in the 80s and 90s I think is another pivotal time in terms of the evolution of the status symbol because just as we were saying with the industrial Revolution there became the middle class and all of a sudden this, um, Elasticity with your place in in uh, the hierarchy of you know your upward mobility. Mm-hmm. In the in the nineties, there became like we had the tech boom, we had entrepreneurship, and we started to see this rise in the balking of tradition as a way to. Um, imp- to show your wealth and status. So, mm-hmm. if I went to Louis Vuitton in my tracksuit, then that was a way of showing that I, I was of a place where I didn't need to worry about being so, um, defined by what traditional status symbols. Yes,
1: definitely. I think that that was a time uh, in history when uh, some the, it's the birthplace of non-traditional values according to status and in fashion in society and how we would communicate those. All of a sudden, there became much more of an interest in the values behind things rather than just the, uh, you know, how it looks or the expense that goes into the products that define our identities.
0: Well, and I think the expense is a really important piece because, you know, when I think of Some of the status symbols that we saw, you know, in that like turn of the turn of the century, I think of Ugg boots. You know, I remember (laughs) Kate Hudson wearing Ugg boots and they were this, you know, symbol of laissez faire. I, I, I don't worry about what the like perfect fashion trends are. And I think of the trucker hat that Pharrell and Ashton Kutcher, you know, really put on the map as these real... Working class, the juicy couture sweatshirt, you know, these Von things. Dutch, yeah. These things that showed that you don't care about, you know, suiting and, and the kind of iconic dressing and status symbols of, of days in the past.
1: No, exactly. And the, I think that a lot of those things symbol sort of like mm, everyday accessibility. And sort of, um, you know, it's it's interesting to see how society now is levering much more on inclusivity rather than exclusivity. And I, th- I completely agree that that was a turning point um, in time when all of a sudden the wider consumer out there in the 90s and early 2000s said, you know, I don't have to um, take a traditional view on on what is uh, status or let the cost of something define that that's Something aspirational for me, it can be something that is every day for me, and that I just really enjoy wearing.
0: Do you think at that time? I'm just thinking back to who some of the key, you know, we wouldn't have called them influencers back then. <laughs> they um, we were pro- though. They were though. Like if we if we look backwards historically and the aristocracy and the royals were our very first examples of in Western cultures of influencers. Um, and then we have the movie stars and then movies, you know, the nature, the nature of celebrity started to really get younger in the 90s. Like when I think of Britney Spears, when I think of the Mickey Mouse Club, when I think of that rise of younger people influencing status, mm-hmm. I think of that time as as kind of a moment where that really started to come into the zeitgeist.
1: Yep, absolutely. I would agree with that. I think there's just um, a lot of changes happening at that time.
0: And I wonder if that's part of the reason why things like the juicy couture sweat sweat track suit track, track. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> the track suit. I'm getting all tongue tied today. Um, was really something that resonated with them because it was a younger, wealthy community that started to influence status.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, in regards to, for instance, just the example of a Juicy Couture tracksuit, if we think about it, we can also think about its link to a brand like Louis Vuitton, because both of those companies are, are rooted in the same idea of leisure time
0: oh right I mean you
1: just don't wear a tracksuit to I mean traditionally you wouldn't wear a tracksuit to the office so therefore there is a um, sort of like a match between those two uh, identities the person who likes to carry a Louis Vuitton is also wanting to communicate the same the same sentiment through a juicy couture tracksuit. But there's a vast difference in the price of those things. True. But the meaning behind them and the the communication is very similar.
0: That's so interesting because I see now that link about, you know, there's a certain amount of values that is starting to permeate into the notion of status. Mm-hmm. If we're looking at leisure time as kind of, you know, it was leisure as wealth, but then you know, what I hear you saying is it's almost becoming leisure as a value proposition. It could be. Well. Yeah, it could be. So if we're looking to, you know, the next layer of trends or what's coming next, where do you see, like what what are... What are some of the status symbols that you see coming down the pipe, or how are you seeing them defined now as a as a futurist?
1: Well, we've spent some time just now talking about sort of traditional uh, the traditional background of status, and I think that in our current era now and the direction which um, North American society is going is that our our uh, it's really about our values uh, shifting from this communication of wealth as status um to more much more about transparency and uh social values and i think that there's a whole bunch of things that are going to uh i think essentially the modern consumer is much more interested in communicating their status through how they live their life rather than what they buy
0: how can you give some examples how do you how do you mean by that
1: okay so uh as one example i would say as an example of um social responsibility as a status symbol we could look at the widespread um, acceptance of a brand like toms so toms for instance uh, their platform with the shoes and they make the casual shoes uh, is one for one so when you purchase a pair of shoes from their brand they are supplying a pair of shoes to somebody in need Mm -hmm. so Everyone knows that if you buy a pair of Toms and you wear them, that you've also uh, done good for society and provided a pair of shoes to someone else in need. And I think that there's a huge interest in that brand, not not solely based on the, uh, the styling of their shoes, but also the fact that you, know, you, you can indulge in philanthropy through what you choose to wear on your person or how you invest in fashion and your looks.
0: That's interesting. So are there other are there other ways that values are being expressed through brands? Like are there? Yeah. I you
1: know. mean, another one that's absolutely fascinating to me is Vivian Westwood, who is an iconic fashion designer. I mean, she's created some, I mean, she's the godmother of punk. She, she's
0: a rock star. It's yeah, true.
1: <laughs> she's pretty amazing. And right now, uh, most of the time when she is interviewed, um, she's telling people to buy less and buy better. Um, so, you know, uh, She's uh, in the backlash against fast fashion. She's saying, you know, don't buy so many clothes, just buy better quality and buy the things that you love, which I mean, as somebody who's in the fashion industry, you would expect her to uh, be promoting people to buy more and spend more. And, and uh, so it's interesting to hear that from uh, a- an iconic designer like her.
0: Do you think there are uh, values that relate to environmentalism that we're seeing yeah, and brands.
1: absolutely. And I think that most brands um, are wanting to lever on that and a lot of big brands are investing in that. As an example of a brand that is investing on uh, in environmental stewardship and they're getting a lot of successful publicity from that, and I think there's going to be a wider acceptance of that, it would be uh, Adidas or the Adidas Lab.
0: And what are they doing that's so impactful that way?
1: So most recently they came out with two designs of shoes which are set to hit the market later this year to early next year. Um, in limited quantities, the first one is an entirely biodegradable shoe. Oh, that's cool. Yep. So uh, these running shoes um, are entirely biodegradable. I believe within a few days. I think it's. I, I don't want to say thirty-six hours for sure, but certainly they're very, you know, inc- incredibly um, uh, resilient to right. uh, return to their uh, organic state. Wow. Um, and then also they've done another project. Um, which I believe was a collaboration where they uh, created a shoe that was made from repurposed uh, plastic or plastics that were harvested from uh, the ocean. Oh, very cool. So they're reusing materials that would otherwise become waste and turning them into high-tech Um, performance athletic products.
0: That's really cool. And I can't help but think as we're talking about brands and, you know, social or environmental responsibility that Stella McCarthy is a brand that's, you know, been walking this talk in many ways for For a long time. For a long time.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And what I think is so... What what I'm just thinking about now is how it's almost like the nature of status is shifting from only an expression of wealth to being more broad based in what it is that you're wanting to communicate. Like if I want to show my social values, I can do that across a variety of price points. I can buy Stella McCarthy's vegan leather, you know, very expensive items, or Mm -hmm. I can buy Tom's shoes
1: sure which you can find at a department store yeah exactly
0: is that a new evolution in the notion of status like is this sort of the first time we're seeing it as not just about upward mobility but you know being a bit more diverse in what status actually means
1: yeah I think it's a it's definitely a, a diversification I wonder myself um and I, I'm sure that there's are ways to research this to back it up that uh It's actually um, a byproduct of our advances, our recent advances in technology and communication. So uh, because the messages that we communicate every day through whether it be social media or brands that are speaking to us through those means, uh, we just have so much more access to information all the time. So it's natural for those uh, forms of communication to become more diverse.
0: So how is that translating into... um into our status symbols. Like, are you suggesting that we can just, because we're more aware of what's going on in the world, it's impacting how we understand a status symbol per se?
1: Exactly, and how we want to communicate our status. Um, So it's almost like uh, we've presented ourselves with the options of how we can diversify ourselves to communicate what our status is through what we wear.
0: Interesting, and the thing I'm thinking now, like I'm thinking about diamonds. Like diamonds is, have obviously been a status symbol for centuries, mm-hmm. and within the past, I don't know, maybe like fifteen years, we've seen the awareness of fair trade diamonds. But if I am wearing a diamond ring, there is nothing distinctive for someone who is just looking at it to know whether it's a fair trade diamond or a non fair trade mm-hmm. diamond. So, part of the part of the status becomes almost a personal understanding.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that that's a part of being a, a conscious consumer as opposed to a conspicuous consumer.
0: And is that a shift that's kind of happened recently, would you say? Or
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, certainly we're aware of this with diamonds in Canada, with the Canadian diamond industry. I mean, for many years, the diamond industry in Canada was about industrial di- diamonds or diamonds that were used for industrial purposes. And now uh, it's opened up quite a bit and where companies are marketing themselves as diamonds from Canada. So.
0: Absolutely. I've noticed that a lot where the, the, if we're linking it back to status, you know, I understand the status at the moment of purchase, not necessarily the moment of, of wearing it mm-hmm. myself.
1: Exactly. I think that this is a giant macro trend um, in transparency in communication. So I think that that's another thing about status. I think status can also be about, um, uh, ethical, moral high ground through how you consume. So, as another example of that, we have the company Everlane, which is of course massively
0: popular. And what is Everlane, in case people haven't had the pleasure of surfing their site in the uh, past? <laughs> okay, so
1: so Everlane is actually a, a basic fashion company. So they're providing, a, they're filling the need for people to be able to clothe themselves in in well-made. Uh, simple styles that can sort of go anywhere. They're they're not even attached to, for instance, certain purpose or anything. It's just like clothes for every day, clothes for now. And a part of their platform or what they're all about is um, no middleman. So, for instance, they're going straight to the manufacturer and then passing on the direct cost to the consumer at as low a price as they possibly can. Uh, so for instance, you know, if you were to buy a t-shirt, um, uh, from Everlane, you will see how much the materials cost, how much the labor cost, how much the transport even costs to be able to arrive, for instance, at their warehouse or even to your door. And then, uh, and then also, uh, what the comparable cost would be if you were to buy that same t-shirt, let's say from, uh, a retailer or a department store,
0: Interesting. So, Interesting.
1: so I think that, um, you know, I'm sure that consumers who are shopping at Everlane, they genuinely care about where their goods are coming from, how they're manufactured, and that everyone uh, in the in the process of creating the, the products that shape their identity is fair trade, you know, uh, paid properly for their services and that sort of thing. So it's... Um, it's an ethical, it's like an ethical moral high ground with with purchasing.
0: Well, and that's making me think that I bet that's a site that really resonates with millennials. Like I'm just thinking now about how we segment generations and how it makes sense that the baby boomers who were products of parents who were in the depression became such, like I think the baby boomers showed a real kind of like bump in in our modern understanding of what status is in terms of like a real kind of hyper consumption of things. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know if we still segmate generations that way you can let me know (laughs) but I would imagine that like a status symbol for one generation let's say the baby boomers would be different than a status symbol for gen xers or gen yers or millennials
1: sure so one of the biggest status symbols um one of the most successful companies that's catering to the baby boomer generation for instance would be like harley davidson so uh because there were so many um Icons in film and in the past, like, for instance, uh, uh, James Dean, the wild one, and uh, what was it, Dennis Hopper and... Uh, oh, and
0: Easy Rider. Easy
1: Rider. Yeah, exactly. So all of those um, stereotypes remain in the baby boomer's consciousness. And now in retirement, they're they're saying, okay, you know, my kids have left home, my family's grown up, I have all this leisure time, and what am I going to indulge in? It's my fantasy of my, my past... My life um, to indulge in that. So actually, Harley Davidson is one of the most successful companies that is um, uh, marketing themselves as a status brand to baby boomers.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Are there brands that cross generations? Like I can't help but keep but think keeping keep thinking of Louis Vuitton. Is that something that you would say is still continuing to cross? Generations as a status symbol?
1: I absolutely think it does, mainly because of what you mentioned earlier about it being how they have uh, within their range, there are so many different products. So for instance, you have the entry-level luxury items. um, Like one of their designs, which is very entry-level, is the Neverfull bag. Um, uh, And also you can now see multi-generational investments in Louis Vuitton. For instance, you see a mother and a daughter both carrying the same... The same brand, but entirely different styles of bag.
0: Right. And is there, is it appealing to new demographics at all? Like, have you seen, you know, Louis Vuitton popping up in places that they wouldn't maybe traditionally be seen as a, as a status symbol? Like, is it with, um, you know, street kids or new moms, or is there a place where they're kind of emerging?
1: Well, I do think one of the interesting, one of the interesting things that I saw in a on um, Tumblr some time ago, was actually... um, I couldn't even read it on Tumblr because it was in Korean. But (laughs) it was actually in Korea. They were taking old or buying old Louis Vuitton bags and then repurposing repurposing them into entirely new designs. So then you bring into the question, is it a Louis Vuitton bag anymore or is it something new?
0: Oh, interesting. mm -hmm. And where do you think if you had to look into your crystal ball, do you think status is going to have another disruption somewhere? Like, where do you think we might see it moving forward?
1: Well, I think that, you know, status in in fashion and as a form of communication is never going away. It's always, I mean, I, one of my favorite books uh, which speaks to status is actually um, Dr. Seuss, The Star-Bellied Sneetches, I don't know if you remember that one.
0: I do, but yeah. please go on.
1: So, so uh, for instance, um, I don't know if you remember the story of that book, but uh, there's characters and then uh, some of them have stars on their belly and some do not. And there's a comparison there and then they come along with a machine that can print stars on your belly. And then before you know it, everyone has stars all over them and no one can really tell who is who. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because that book is a children's book and it's very simple about breaking down borders of status. So maybe um, with the direction that we're going in now, having moved from a traditional model of status, which is trickle-down, where you know the, the styling details and concepts are coming from a place of wealth and higher status in society, mm-hmm. to evolving more recently uh, to status in a, a socially conscious setting... Um, and with, uh, with, you know, wanting to communicate more and in different ways and communicate our status not only from this is something that's wealthy and it has value, but also these are my values. Um, so I think that that is set to continue and become more mainstream in our society. So if anything, we're looking at that becoming more amplified and more mainstream.
0: So in instead of it being always a trickle down, we're going to see more of a bubble up on the influence of of status
1: yeah hopefully i think that that will will be coming down the pipeline yeah
0: emily this has been such an interesting discussion thank you so much um before we say goodbye i want to ask you uh, a final fashion question uh it's a desert island and you only have one outfit to wear for the rest of your life what would you choose and why
1: See, for me, that would be so easy. I'm such a simple girl who's uh, absolutely practical. So for me, it would be a one piece or a jumpsuit with lots and lots of pockets because uh, I think I would uh, sort of on a desert island, you have to think about survival. So oh, you're being very practical. <laughs> <laughs> but also, also as a fashion uh, as a fashion piece, I'm a huge fan of uh, one onesies, one's one pieces. I have a closet full of them. I love the whole concept of it being uh, a whole look in one garment but not a dress. So for me, that's what's really unique about it. So I'm sort of like a one-piece girl. I love that look.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. If people want to find you, where can they where can they find you online? So the best place to find me
1: online is at my own uh, website for my company, my Trend for Casting Agency, which is just my full name, uh, .com. So Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, M-I-L-L-E-R, and then P-A-L-M-Q-U-I-S-T, Emily Miller Palmquist.com.
0: Thank you so much for being here today, Emily. And I also want to say thank you to our awesome sound engineer, Paolo Frigilelli. And also want to say um, if you like us and enjoyed listening to us today, please tell people about the podcast. It really, really helps get the word out there. And if you feel inclined, give us a high five on iTunes. This has been Fashion Talks. It's produced in partnership with CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about CAFA at C A F A W A R D S. And I'm Donna Bishop, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks.